From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. So we're starting a a new series today um, called Come to Worship as we enter the Christmas season. It's maybe a little bit different than what you think, but here's our key verse. It's in Matthew chapter 2. One and two, it says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. You know, I love this because everything changed in a moment. Everything in, in, in a moment changed 2,000 years ago when God ascended to earth and broke into the fabric of human history and changed history forever. When, when God became man, when Jesus was born, everything changed. History changed. Society changed. Time changed. If you look throughout the course of human history, you can see the impact that faith and Christianity has had over basically history, from hospitals to science to everything has changed on that moment, and in that moment, it will never be, it has never been the same. When Jesus was born, he gave us an opportunity to be known and and to be loved and to be forgiven, to find true meaning and fulfillment. We talked a little bit through Lori's baptism about that feeling of emptiness and that feeling of wholeness that comes through Christ, and that's truly what Jesus came to do, to give us true fulfillment. He took our sin on the cross, and he paved a way for eternity with God. And the natural response when you truly understand that, see that, acknowledge that, receive that is worship. But that's not often a response. Because if you look in our part of the world, at least, the gospel that we often work with and the issue that we have is that we think that God exists for us. That God exists for us, that he's here to make our lives better, that he's some sort of cosmic genie in a bottle that If I just pray right and act right and do the right things and have enough faith, then I'll get what I want or what I need. You know, I'm just going to believe for this thing and and God will give it to me because he exists for me. And, and, you know, whether or not we acknowledge that, sometimes the way we act and the way we live and the way we approach and the way we worship God is like that. We worship when we have something. We need something. We want something. But the biblical gospel has Jesus at the center. That he doesn't exist for us but we exist for him, that we were created to glorify him, to worship him, to make him known, and to bring him honor. And I noticed something about Matthew chapter 2, the way the Magi came to Jesus. Did you notice it? They didn't come to get something from him. Oh, he, the king has been born. Let's go get what we need. Let's go ask for some deliverance. Let's ask for provision. They didn't come to have their lives changed or to receive anything. It says they came to worship him. They didn't come with questions. They didn't come with concerns. They didn't come like, you know, needing to share their issues and get some results. It says that they came to worship him. Listen, what you need to understand, church, is is worship isn't something that we do. Worship is who we are. Like we are created and designed to worship and every single one of us, regardless of what you believe, you worship something. The question is, what do you worship? 
What is your attention drawn to? What do you give glory the most in your life? We were created to worship, but we were created to worship God from the depths of our heart. And so worship is something I believe that we can practically even approve on, not just here, but every day. And so over the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to talk specifically about how to worship and specifically different postures of worship that we could do as we come to worship, as we come to gather. So we're going to look at things like bringing our gifts to God, pouring out our hearts, bowing on our knees. And today I want to look at a very practical one, which you've probably seen or are familiar with, and that is lifting your hands. Everybody seen that? If you're here, you've seen it. If you've been in this church, you've seen it. If you didn't grow up in church, if you didn't grow up in church, uh, you may have seen uh, people kind of doing this when you came in, or if you're a part of our church, you know, lifting the hand up. And there's many different ways people do this. I don't know if you've noticed. Sometimes I watch how people lift a hand. You got, you got the person that's always high-fiving Jesus, right? He's just, the, he's just there, yes. You know, I think there was a comedian that talked about the different ways. He talked about, like, you remember those big TVs, like, before they were flat screens? Like, the tube TVs? Like, there's the person that's carrying the TV. It's like, they're, they're curled up their hands just in case they drop it, you know? There's the fish. The fish was this big. There's my personal favorite, and, and I'm just going to be honest. There's, if you watch me, this is often how I lift my hands in worship. It's the come at me, bro. I call it the come at me, bro. Just come at me, Jesus. I got you. <laughs> There's many different ways. I, I knew one person, actually, when I was growing up. I've never seen anybody do it since, but they painted the sky. Every time they worshiped, they lifted their hands, and they were just, they were, they were painting. There's many different ways that people lift their hands, and if you're newer to church or you're newer to this expression of worship, this may look weird to you, right, or odd or even kindly intimate, it obviously looks like that that person is having some sort of real moment or experience, but it seems awkward to you. If you've grown up in church um, and you've seen that, you know that, maybe you don't even think twice about it, but maybe you don't even go there. You walk in, you don't even notice a hand. Someone raised a hand, but that's just not you. Right? We say that, that's not me. That's not me. Well, what I want to accomplish today is I just want to explain and talk through simply why we lift our hands to God and what that accomplishes and what that does, because this is a tool for our physical nature to express worship. This is a way for us to express worship. What you do, I've said this before, and I'll probably say this until I'm done pastoring, but what you do physically nurtures you inwardly. That's like, that's like everyday life. That's just an everyday observation. What you do externally nurtures, nurtures you inwardly. And the same is spiritually. If I lift my hands in worship, it, it nurtures my, my inward nature. So if you turn back, if you're at Matthew, I want you to turn all the way to Psalms, chapter 63. We had a nice little intro video that read it for us. You have a Bible. I don't hear any pages. Anybody got a physical? Who's got a physical Bible? You of us? Come on. Old school, how many of you got a digital Bible with you? You, sh you should all, you have a device, right? You have a smartphone in your pocket. Pop it out, open up a Bible, turn to Psalm 63. I, I encourage you to do that, follow along, because it helps you retain. There's a few ways that you can retain. And in fact, I just read that studies have shown that 5% of receiving anything is from this mode of communication. Out of everything that you'll ever hear me say, you're only going to receive in your being 
But you can actually learn the most by teaching. 90% of learning comes by teaching. So I'm learning the most when I teach. I'm teaching myself today. You guys get 5%, I get 90%. But another way to engage is to track along in the scripture, in a physical Bible or in a digital one on your phone. And so Psalm 63, this is, uh, you'll find it in the middle of your Bible if you've got a physical Bible. This is a Psalm of David. And you'll remember David as King David or David and Goliath David. David was a king, he was a shepherd. He was a warrior. If you know, you should read his stories. They're great stories. He was a musician and he was a poet. And he wrote this psalm, this prayer, this song when he was in the desert, it says, during a low point in his life. So you have to imagine him being in a physical desert in a low portion of his life. And look at how he cries out to God. It says this in verse one. It says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. Listen, listen to the cry. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. And I just want to pause there because I wonder how many of us look at our present situation or what's going on in our life, and this just reflects our life. There's a desperation. There's a, we're, in a, we're in a dry, parched Desert-like land, we feel, we feel drained. We're just done. Maybe we feel alone and rejected. Often when you look at the scriptures and it speaks to the desert, it speaks to the wilderness, it speaks of this aloneness. Maybe you just long to be free. You know, we're coming to the Christmas season. If you haven't figured that out yet, I don't know where you are because there's lights popping up everywhere and some of you got trees up. We got trees up. We got everything ready to go. We are ready in our house. But the Christmas season is upon us, right? And there's joy and there's, there's family and there's excitement and, you know, there's energy and there's passion, all these things that the Christmas season often um, brings. But for you, it's just not that. In fact, it's the Christmas season that makes your aloneness or your emptiness or your dryness or your drainness feel more magnified. And actually, some would say that the holidays do that. They magnify what you feel. So if you're feeling really good, the holidays just make you feel really good. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're in a good spot and then Christmas comes along, you're like, yeah, I'm in my jam now, you know, or whatever season, whatever holiday is. But if you're not feeling that, if you're feeling like in a, in a despair or you're feeling rejected or you're feeling like you're in this kind of empty place, the holidays magnify that. It's a hard place for you. You feel extra hard during this season. Lights are popping up, Christmas tree. People are talking about family gatherings, you know, Christmas carols, parades, all this stuff. And it just makes you go, ugh. So David here is he's crying out. He's saying, I need you, God. All of me, my whole, my whole being. I'm desperate. That's that word thirst. I'm desperate. I feel parched and I'm in a, I'm in a he's in a physical desert. I'm in a, I'm in a desert place. And I'm parched and I'm longing for you. And maybe that's you. You're just like, you're in an empty space and you have a longing inside. And so he continues in verse two. He says, I've seen you in the sanctuary and I've beheld your power and your glory. He's saying, I've felt your presence before. I've, I've seen the manifestation of your glory. I've been in the temple where your presence was. I've seen it. I've seen the holy place where the Lord of the universe and the world intersect. I've been there. And a lot of us who have grown up in church, we can relate to this experience. 
right? We, we know about the power of God. You've, you've seen a demonstration of God's power. You've seen his glory. You've seen him do remarkable, unbelievable things. I was talking to a few adults from here recently about youth conventions. Remember youth conventions, adults, if you grew up in church? Like there was just like a hunger and a passion for God at, at youth conferences and conventions. You know, kids were thirsty and God did a miraculous things. People were called into purpose and ministry. People were healed. There was, there was salvation. Like God did amazing things. And we look back as adults on those moments. We look back on those moments and we remember those days at the altar when someone was so overwhelmed by the presence of God. Remember this? And they fell down. We used to have a name for it. It was called slain in the spirit. But they were just so overcome. Or they were so overcome in the presence of God that they couldn't help but laugh. They're just laughing. Like, you know, Sally Joe over here is just giggling along by herself because she's so overcome with the presence of God. And we look back and I remember those days where those were the days. We use that term. Those were the days. Those were the days. We've seen that and we long for it again. We're, we say things like, we're not there now if we could only go back. Maybe we feel dry. We feel empty. I'm not there. But I remember, I remember when God did something. And I remember it being big, like David. I've seen you in the sanctuary and I've beheld your power and I've beheld your glory. And we look back and we say, man, I want that again. You know, you can have that. Like you don't need a youth conference. You don't need a youth conference to have that powerful move of God. You don't need everybody engaged in the house, in the, in the church, lifting up hands for you to have a powerful encounter with God. You can have it wherever you are. We're living in the day of post-resurrection and post-ascension. We're living in the time where Jesus said, you can worship me in spirit and in truth. Like You can have those moments wherever you are. You can have God encounters wherever you are. And David is here and he's looking back and he's looking at the times where he's seen God's power and his glory. And he continues and he says this in verse three, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. And so there's this shift in the prayer from I'm, I'm thirsty and I'm desperate. I feel dry and empty. I've seen it. I've seen your power. I've been in the sanctuary. And he's talking about the physical sanctuary, the, the temple. I've been close to the Holy of Holies. I've been there. And then there's this shift as he recalls that. He says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. And this is so important, church. Like, you need to receive this follower of Christ. Like, he's in a dry place, right? He's in that low spot. He's crying out to God, I'm empty. He's remembering those moments when he's counted the glory and power of God, and he's using that to fuel this moment worship. He's using that to fuel his worship in this present moment. He's not waiting for someone else to create an experience for him. He's not waiting for a pastor to come along with a worship team and say some really nice things in a nice persuasive way that makes you encounter God. He's using the things that he's seen God do in the past and he's choosing in that moment to worship him. Saying, my lips will glorify you. He's not allowing his circumstances and how he feels to dictate his worship. You know, too often we do that. We worship based on how we feel. We don't feel good that day. We just don't engage the same way. And we're, we're people, right? We're human. We, we do that. But if we don't feel like it today for whatever reason, we're just off. You know, maybe we've, 
We come with like something on our shoulders. We, you know, we got into a fight on the way to church with your family. You know, you had a disagreement with your spouse. You had a heavy week. Something happened at your job. It was just, and you just don't feel it, so you don't engage. And that's not what David's doing. He's not allowing how he feels to dictate his worship. He's allowing what he knows of God to dictate his worship. In fact, he's using what he knows of God to trump how he feels. I feel this way, but I remember who he is, and so I'm going to worship this way. Because we don't worship God based on our feeling. And if you do, you're not, you're not a true worshiper. Because 95% of the time, can I just be honest? 95% of the time, I don't feel like worshiping. Because I'm a sinful-natured person. I want to sit. I want to lie on a couch. If I was watching online right now, I would just want to relax, put my feet up. You know, maybe that's what you're doing right now. Maybe that's what you do at home. I just want to relax. I don't feel it. Sometimes I do, but 95% of the time I don't. But do you know what we got to do instead? Is we allow what we know of God. I know that he's worthy of worship. I know what Jesus has done. And so I allow that to dictate my worship, not how I feel. And so David is not allowing the desert place, the low spot, to dictate his worship. He says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. You know, and the love of God is eternal, right? The, sin will separate you from the presence of God, but nothing the Bible says can separate you from the love of God. And, and life will fade and moments will fade and desert moments, low moments, dark times will come and they'll go. But the love of God, the Bible says it never ends. And so David can say with confidence in this spot, in this desert, he says, your love is better than life. Therefore, my mouth, my lips will glorify you, will praise you. I can't stop it. Even here in this desert, I can't stop, but tell you that I need you and that I'll worship you. I won't stop. I need to let you know, God, who, who you are and how great you are. I need to lift you up. I need to lift you up. You're powerful. And then he says this in verse four, I will praise you as long as I live. Keep in mind, again, he's in a low spot. He's not saying thank you because things are great. He's not saying thank you. Everything's smooth right now. This is great. So I'm going to worship you. He's saying, I will praise you as long as I live in that low spot. And then listen, he says, and in your name, I will lift up my hands. In your name. Because of who you are, I will lift up my hands and praise you and worship you. This is an action of worship. This is an action of worship, not based on circumstance, but on God's worth. And it was a way for him to express what he felt in his heart, what he knew to be true. Now, this is foreign to us who are new to church or maybe we were raised in a church where the only time you raised your hand was to say, I need to go to the bathroom. Can I go to the bathroom? Maybe that's what some of you are doing. You're waiting for me to say, oh, you need to go to the bathroom. So this is foreign to you, right? Maybe you grew up in expressions where you don't do those things. But here's David. He's expressing his praise to God by proclaiming truth and lifting his hands. Because when you truly, listen, when you truly experience the grace of God through Jesus. You experience the love of God through the forgiveness that Jesus offers. You can't help but show gratitude in some form or fashion. You can't help that. That's the response. When you truly recognize Jesus for who he is and what he's done, that moves you. So if we flip forward a little bit in, in history, 
Paul is instructing a young pastor named Timothy, Paul the Apostle, instructing a young pastor named Timothy about matters of prayer and worship in the church. And he said this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. He says, therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. So let me just talk to guys for a second, because if, if, we, if we look into this, put that scripture back up. If we look at this scripture, that word men there isn't like a word that can be translated to mankind or everybody. We can use this as a principle for everybody, but Paul is specifically talking to Timothy about how to instruct men to worship. Like he's not saying, I want everybody in the church, which we can, again, we can use that principle, but he's talking about men because men, I think, usually have the hardest time with this. Maybe it's a pride thing. Maybe we've brought into stereotypes, right? Men are just not emotive, which is baloney. You are emotive, and your motive is just a resting mean face. You look angry all the time. Men have the hardest time with this, and Paul is calling us out a bit. And I can only imagine why, as I was reflecting on this, I'm like, why would Paul be saying this? And I thought maybe Paul wants men to set the tone of worship and the standard of an openness to God. Maybe, maybe Paul wants the men to model to their families and to the families around them and to their children and to children around them what a heart after God looks like. Listen, if you want your kids to seek after God, dad, grandpa, uncle, dude in the house, then you need to model what it means to seek after God. Because here's what I've learned from being a young father with young children, okay? They will not always do as I say. In fact, most of the time, they do not do as I say. They can't read my intentions. They don't have an x-ray machine that reads my heart and says, Mom, my dad really, really wants this. But they will imitate like 100% of the time my actions. 100% of the time. You know, I have countless memories. If I look back, I grew up in a church. I have countless memories of my mom in worship or a lot of prayer postures. If I look back on my mom as as a follower of Jesus and I see her in in postures of prayer, like on her knees or an intercessory prayer, that's what I picture my mom. But when I look back on my dad, the only memory that I have that I can pinpoint of him in a church service is with his hands lifted. And it's so vivid to me that I can, like, I can see the room. I can, I can, I, if, I, if I was a painter, I could paint the sanctuary. Pews, the color, the stage. And I remember just having this moment. I could probably recite, which I won't, but I could probably recite the words he used as he expressed worship with his hands up. And I don't know if that was what set a standard for me, but it's set apart from my mother. It's set apart from my mother. What if the men of Parkway set the tone for worship by lifting our hands? What if, what if we led the way with how to express our worship to God? Historically in church, I'll speak to church people today. Historically in church, women have been more expressive in worship. And men have been fearful and reserved. And we use excuses. I'm preaching to the choir. Paul says to Timothy, I want the men 
everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands. I want the men everywhere lifting up holy hands. So why hands? David talks about this. Paul talks about this. Why hands? I want to give you three reasons today. It's because number one, expresses something. How we express outwardly reveals what's happening inwardly. And I believe, I believe God as a father, as a good father, loves when his children lift his hands, lift their hands in worship. I, I believe God as a father loves that. And here's why. Because when my little three-year-old girl, three-year-old little girl, my wife says that she has me wrapped around her finger, which I don't want to be truthful, but I think it's true. Because she would just got in trouble or something happened and she'll come up to me and she'll just put her hands up and say, Daddy, I want you to hold me. And I can't help. I can't help. Like, if she's in trouble, I have to look away. Like, I have to walk out of the room because I'm like, oh, something just But if she's not, if she's hurt, like, I can't help. It melts me. It melts me. My boys don't do it as much. They're older. And usually if they do, they're wanting to climb on me or punch me or something. I don't know. I have one son that any time I pick him up, he's like climbing over my shoulder. But it just melts me. You know, there's no loving father. There's no loving father on the planet that would reject the outstretched arms of their child. And so I can imagine God, the father, the scriptures, Jesus taught us to look to him as a father, how he feels when his children reach out to him, when they just reach out. Someone said this once, they said, when our hands move toward God, his heart moves towards us. That made me think of James chapter four, verse eight, which says, come near to God and he'll come near to you. And and this is not to say that God is withdrawn from us and he's just waiting for us to make the first move. He's not saying like, I'll come to you if you come to me. It's not like that, okay? Because God already made the first move. We see that Jesus on the cross. He's like, I'm making the first move. I've made the first move. What, what I think James, the half-brother of Jesus, is getting to here is he's saying that, you know what? As you move towards God, you are more aware of his presence because you can't escape his presence. It's not like sometimes he, the presence of God that we can feel in a tangible way in a service that moves our heart and strikes us. It's not like God just like, I decided to show up this Sunday and not other Sundays. Like his presence is always here. The difference is, is how much are we aware of it? And how much are we being moved by it? And so I look at this and I see James saying, come near to God, open your heart up to him and you will be more aware of how close he is to you. So when I lift my hands, I'm taking a step closer and revealing the actions of my heart. Number two is lifting hands is also a form of sacrifice. The author of Hebrews tells us, he says, continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. You know, like you would come and you'd give money in an offering, lift or maybe time, you'd give your time to an event or to serving on the team. You're, you're giving up something for God. Lifting my hands is a sacrifice of worship. Listen to what David said in another psalm. He said this, he said, I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me. Hear me when I call you. May my prayer be set before you like incense and may the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. I'm, I'm praying, please accept this offering. We have, to, we have to look back and we have to imagine in the Old Testament, before Christ, 
The, the people of God, they would offer animal sacrifices as a form of worship. Atonement for sin is a form of worship. And so what Hebrews is telling us and what David is showing to us is that lifting our hands or coming before him in praise is a form of sacrifice. It's a form of worship. And by definition, the word sacrifice costs you something. Maybe it's your ego. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's that excuse that says, I just don't do that. I'm not comfortable. Well, that's why it's called a sacrifice of praise. Because you've got to give up something. It's not called comfort praise. It's not called whatever you feel like praise. It's called a sacrifice of praise. Because there's something about when you lay something down, right? Like think about Christmas time. When you were a kid and your parent got you that one thing that you really wanted. Parent, think about the sacrifice you made to get that. Right? My kids don't know that. They don't know how much time or energy or money goes into the purchasing of their gifts. Right? The sacrifice that we make. It's the same idea. I'm giving God a sacrifice of praise. I'm, I'm checking my pride. And I'm checking my comfort zone. And I'm saying I'm doing this because I want, I want to be open to you. I want to be more aware. You are worthy of it. Let, let my, the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. And I think for many of us, this may be the first time you've even considered the lifting of your hands as an offering of worship. Just like you would come and lay down a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice in the Old Testament. Please don't bring in an animal sacrifice. <laughs> Someone's like, I'm bringing in a sacrifice. <laughs> we don't do that here. You can do that. Yeah. Period. End of that discussion. Number three, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come up because we're going to end with taking a posture of worship today, is lifting hands is a battle declaration. You know, some of us may be in that place where you feel like you're in a bit of a battle. You're in a, you're in a fight. You're in a dark place. And if things don't change, who knows what will happen? You feel that struggle. You feel that tension. And lifting your hands to God is a way of declaring battle. It's a way of saying, I need your help. I need your help, so I'm praying, praising, and I'm declaring war right now. This is how desperate I am for intervention. So last week, if you were here, you're listening online, we talked about how the Israelite people, as they were being led out of Egypt and out of slavery, they were brought before the Red Sea. And behind them was an army bent on destruction looking to eradicate every single individual and say they were stuck. Behind them was this army and then there's this sea in front of them. And if you read the story, it says that God told Moses to stretch his hands over the sea. And as he did, it parted by the will of God and they were free to walk through the sea on dry ground to freedom. Later on in the story, if we, if we fast forward a few chapters, in Exodus chapter 17, the Israelites were being attacked by an army of Amalekites, this people group. And Moses sent a guy named Joshua, if you remember the story, to lead the people into battle. And it says that as he um, led the people in the battle, Moses went up on the hill to lift his hands in prayer. And it says this in verse 11 of Exodus chapter 17. It says, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. As long as he held up his hands, they were, they were winning the battle. But the moment that they dropped, they lost. Now, this is not prescription. 
right? This is not that you win every battle by just holding up hands. Otherwise, we'd see people walking around just like this the whole time, right? With like some sort of contraption to hold up their arms. It's descriptive of what's happening here, but it points to something. That lifting our hands is a physical way of reaching out to God. And when you find yourself in a place where you need God intervention, maybe it's time you lift up a hand or two and start calling out. You're offering that kind of sacrifice saying, I need you. I trust you. I can't do this on my own, but I know that you can. I can't do this. So I give you this offering. I cry out and praise. Fight for me. Fight for us. Maybe you find yourself there. So maybe it's time you lift up a hand. Maybe it's time you offered a sacrifice in your prayer. God, I'm not comfortable doing this, but I'm really desperate. God, this isn't my thing, but I'm in a dry desert place. I'm in a parched land, like David was saying. So let my, with my hands raised up high, hear me. And maybe you'll just nurture something inside of you. Now, if we, if we continue in this story, this moment, this battle, it actually says that when his hands grew tired, that they got him a rock to sit on. And two guys, Aaron and Hur, held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other, until the battle was won. So when Moses couldn't hold his hands any higher because his shoulders started to get tired, he wasn't a bodybuilder, right? He didn't, you know, shoulder press hundreds of pounds. He couldn't keep them up. And when he grew tired, people came around him, said, you can't do it anymore, but we'll do it for you. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of the church. Or what a beautiful picture of what the church should be. Because when you need to cry out to God and you can't do it anymore, you should have people come alongside you and say, you can't do it, but I'll lift a hand for you. You know, you're discouraged right now. Well, let me encourage you. Let me come alongside you and encourage you. You're in despair. You're in a moment. You feel defeated. Well, let me come alongside and hold up your hands. When I'm weary, who, who holds up my hands? And I'm so thankful for my wife, for Jody, because when I feel like this, she does it for me. She reaches out to God for me. I'm not saying you got to come alongside someone physically hold up their arms. You could. I'm not saying do that. But I'm saying maybe you reach out for somebody else. Maybe you cry out for somebody else. Maybe you call out. Maybe you see someone and they're so broken, they're so down in a prayer moment that they just physically can't. So you come alongside, you put your arm around them and say, I got, I got you. I got you. I'll lift up a hand. I'll praise. I'll declare battle. You know, we shouldn't do our battles alone. You know, when we come here, we worship together. Like, that's why we come here. That's why we gather. That's why, that's why you, you as an individual are not the church. You know that? The church is not a building, but the church is a, is a body. You cannot be the church as an individual. We can be the church together. And that's why we worship together. And that's why we come together to be there together as a body of Christ. We lean on one another. We lift each other up and we seek God together. And so when you're in a battle and you can't raise your hands, we raise our hands for you. We raise our hands with you. So maybe, just maybe, it's time we add another posture of worship to our tool belt. Maybe you feel dry in your walk with God and you just, you don't know what the next step is. You're like, I don't know how to break through this wall. Maybe you need to do something different in how you express worship.
how you come to God. You know, in our church, what we say, if you're in-house, is that you can come forward, you can step out of your chair, you can lift your hands. And if you see that in this church, now you know why. You know why people lift their hands. You know, a child lifts their hands to be lifted by a parent. Maybe you need to be lifted by God. When you're at a sporting event or you're watching the game and your team wins, scores, what do you do? You jump, you shout, you lift up your hands as a way of celebration. Maybe even when you're yelling at the ref, right? Start pointing at the TV, you get really close to it because he's going to hear you if you get closer. You know he's not going to hear you if you get closer, but you do it anyway. Maybe it's time you start celebrating with your hands up high. Maybe sometimes you get a little closer knowing that you can't actually get closer to God, but you can be more aware of his presence if you do something externally to nurture your inward nature. When you have a gun pointed at you, and hopefully this never happens, you do, you lift your hands. I surrender, I give up. When you come and worship, you do all these things. You surrender. You offer yourself as a sacrifice. You express worship to God. You declare battle. And so if you, all, of, all the people in the house today, would you stand with me? Our team is going to lead us in one more song of worship. And if you believe in Jesus, you're a follower of Christ. Like Jesus is your Lord. And here's my challenge. Lift up a hand today. Here's the practice. Right? Here's, the, here's the rehearsal. Here's the moment that you're going to say, okay, I'm going to give this a go. No, it's not about who's around. Even if you're in home today, do the same. The team leads us in worship. So Father God, we thank you for today and we just come one more time and worship singing of how great you are and how, how many wondrous things you've done for us. And we express that today and we offer you a sacrifice of praise by coming with our hands lifted high. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship him all over this place. Would you just, if you're comfortable, if you know Jesus, step out of your comfort zone. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.